Good morning, Northgate. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning, even though we can't meet in person. It's a joy just to be able to communicate via this way as well. So wish I was there to see you, but here we are yet again, socially distancing for a few more weeks. As I was preparing for today, I was uh, thinking back to the messages that Dan's been sharing about and revisiting them and re-listening to them and wanting to capture again this study of Joshua, like what more is there? What am I missing? Because it's there's so much in it. We're only just touching on some of the chapters very, very lightly. And I was quite captured by the story of Achan. And I know the story of Achan very well, having been raised in a Sunday school. I know the story. My father was a child pastor and he used to teach on it all the time. And I remember it, the visuals and everything like that. But I really was captured by why did Achan do what he did? What got him to do it? So I prayed and I read scriptures. I thought, I studied, I meditated, I listened. I looked inward, asked myself, why would I do such a thing like that? And then I asked myself, why do I do some of the things that I do? When God asks me not to do stuff, why do I go ahead and do it anyway? What makes me different than him? Well, one thing became really clear to me as I thought about this and prayed and waited on the Lord with this. I'd like to share some of that with you today. So the first thing that came clear to me was simply that every time there's a great work of God, certainly I see it in my own life and in these stories as well. Every time there's a great work of God, it seems like the enemy is right there in a moment. Uh, and he's there to, enemy being the devil, he's there to uh, attempt to discourage us, to dissuade what's happened, to say, oh, that, that didn't happen, or God didn't really mean that, to make us question, to make us doubt, to really want us to give up on what God has promised and said that he was going to do. The second thing that is really clear to me as well is that it is in our human nature to become easily dissatisfied with what we have. We always want something more. It has to be newer, it has to be better, it has to be something. And it's been in our nature since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. It's not spiritual, it's a natural thing in us of the flesh. And it's to want what we cannot have. It's to be drawn to what we're never meant to have. And it's to be drawn to the forbidden. Wow. Can you relate to that at all? In Genesis 3, verses, uh, just at verse 6, I'll read right now, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it as well. What we suffer today in this dissatisfaction is rooted from this very sin that occurred in the Garden of Eden. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, and she wanted. Now she was surrounded by food. The trees, everything that was there, produced all the food they needed. There was just one tree she wasn't supposed to eat from, or Adam. And she saw that it was good for food, and she wanted it as well. There was a craving in there that was not satisfied by what she had, and yet she had everything. Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eye. It was drawing her eye. It was very pleasant to her. It was appealing. It looked like it would satisfy. And Eve 
knew or she saw somehow that this tree would make her wise and she wanted that. She wanted it more than obedience to what God had said. She wanted it, she coveted it, then she took of it, the fruit, and shared it with her husband Adam who was standing there with her and wanted it as well. They had perfection in their lives, everything they needed. And yet they were dazzled by their eyes, with their eyes, for something that they couldn't have. And they wanted that instead. Surrounded by good food, they wanted something else on top of that. They were tempted and they gave in to it. The third point is that the devil is described as, in Genesis 2, as crafty. He is an incredible manipulator. He has been working this scheme that he did with Adam and Eve. He's been working that scheme since then and continues to do it to Achan and to you and I today. Same technique and the same results. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 11 to 19, it refers to um, Satan, the devil, as well as a king, um, and using the two as the same description. And the devil is described as this. He's described as the model of perfection. Now, I feel sorry for the harlequin men on those TV romance movies where the guy is, just has to be impossibly perfect all the time. The, the enemy is described as a model of perfection, full of wisdom and splendor, perfect in beauty, adorned with precious stones, set in the finest of gold. This is how the devil was described in the garden when he was tempting Adam and Eve. His heart was proud because of his own beauty. How similar is this standard yet today? Still all around us, we see beauty, wealth, and perfection are idolized. The perfect body, the perfect home, the perfect, the perfect, it's an idol to our society, totally unattainable. And we tend to be so dissatisfied with what we have, thinking there has to be something more. So back to Achan. Why did this capture me like it did? Well, he too was tempted by his eyes and perhaps the desire for power. Achan, like Adam and Eve, he had all of his needs looked after. His shoes didn't wear out, his clothes didn't wear out, water, food provided, promised provision going into the promised land of even better food than what they were eating. Everything was provided, and yet he wanted something more than what he had. He had just been part of a major move of God where the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, which was flooded and impossible to cross. He crossed over Jordan with them, and the land was dry in front of them, all around them. It was dry, and they walked through the Jordan. They walked around the walls of Jericho, and the walls fell down. He had just seen that happen. And in his culture, through the generations, all the things that God had done delivering them from Egypt would have been passed on to them. So he was full of the knowledge of what God had done and seen what God had done, and yet was still tempted. He desired more, and when he saw the robe and the gold and the silver, he actually took them. It says in Joshua 7, verses 20 to 21, that Achan replied when he was being confronted by this, sin, he replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, 
I coveted them. That's the same thing that happened to Eve in the garden. She coveted. He coveted and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath, is what Achan said. Well, in Joshua 7, verse 19, he said, I coveted them and I took them. To covet is to desire something, especially if it belongs to someone else. He desired what God had. It wasn't for him, it was for God, and Achan desired it. It's based on a false belief that by acquiring it, somehow I'll be satisfied. If I just get this, 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 I will be satisfied. And so Achan took the robe. Well, the robe, I was quite captured by this. And I, I looked it up and thought, what does a robe really stand for? Well, the robe, it was a Babylonian robe. And later on, they would become captives to Babylon. But it stood for success. It stood for glamour. It stood for power. It stood for authority. It likely belonged to royalty. It was shiny. It was beautiful. It was interwoven. It was appealing to the eye. It was valuable for resale and for prestige. Well, I wonder if it was so similar to the robe that the enemy, the devil, wore in the garden. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? And the gold and the silver, well, they stand for wealth and power, for future status. You know, they were still in their tents moving around. What's he going to do with all this stuff? He had to bury it. Then they're going to move their tent. They're going to move again. And he's got all this stuff to take with him that he has to hide the whole time. But he might have thought, this is provision for myself. So I have something in the future and I don't need to rely on God or anyone else. I'm not sure of his motivation, but it says when he saw it, he coveted it and wanted it. All were glamorous, all were shiny, all were appealing to the eye, but they were forbidden by God and he took them. The gold and the silver would actually be kept for God's use, likely in the future building of the temple. Everything else was to be destroyed. Abraham actually robbed God. I'm sorry, Achan, not Abraham actually robbed God. He coveted for himself what was actually God's. Wow. So today, why would I be stuck on that story? Well, I always want to take it back to me and relate it to us today. Can you see with me how we are still surrounded by similar temptations? Around us, we see the need for power, prestige, beauty. We're completely dissatisfied. It's rooted in this sinful nature in us to be dissatisfied ever so quickly. If you ever go to a, a football game or a hockey game or something, we're cheering, we're cheering, we're all for them, and then boom, they do something, and we're gone, and we're, we're angry at them, and we walk out, and it's the worst game of our lives, and whoa, all in the space of 20 minutes. We have so much in our culture. We have so, so much compared to the rest of the world, and yet we're completely, in many ways, completely dissatisfied. I heard a pastor friend of mine I'll quote his wife this week, and I wrote it down because I thought, boy, this ever relate to where we're at in this message and what God has been showing me. And she said this, she said, all possessions soon become so boring after just a little while. Isn't that true? How many of us have places in our homes where we've got stuff buried, we don't even know what's there? When my wife and I redid our kitchen six or seven years ago, we discovered stuff that had been there for 25 years. We didn't even know we had it. Are you like that as well? And yet I still want more. Why? Where does this dissatisfaction come from? 
Well, as I was praying on this and particularly praying about it last night and saying, Lord, what, what do we do with this today? How do we relate to it? How do you and I relate to this message of Achan and going back to the Garden of Eden and how the enemy tempts us to constantly be dissatisfied and to constantly want something more? I was reminded this morning of the words of Jesus to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, where Jesus confronts the church, and it sounds very similar to our society today. He says in Revelation 3.17, he says, For you say you are rich. You say you've prospered and you don't need anything. You don't realize, actually, that you are wretched, you're poor, pitiable, you're blind, you're naked. Jesus goes to say to the church, and I would say he would say to us today the same thing. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold, gold that is refined in the fire so that you may truly be rich. And buy from me white garments, pure garments, so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that your eyes are pure and holy so that you may see what really is, what is really true. See, our lives will never be satisfied with our own riches, with our own prestige, with our own power or our own beauty. Do you know of anybody really that's satisfied? Very few people, and yet we have so much. It's the lie of the evil one. It's the lie of the devil since that time in the garden till now to be dissatisfied with what we've got, to be even dissatisfied with God, to be dissatisfied with our faith, to be dissatisfied with the church, to be dissatisfied with ourselves. But Jesus counsels us to come to him. See, Adam and Eve, when they bit into the covetousness and, and dissatisfaction, they hid from God. Achan hid everything from God. We draw back from God. I know of people that are desperately in need of being with God, being with Jesus, spending time with him, and they will do anything to avoid being there. I've literally had some of them say to me, I'm petrified to be with God because of the shame, because of the fear, because of what are they going to encounter? Oh, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, don't hide. Come to me, buy from me what will last forever. Buy from me gold that has been refined. Cover yourself with a robe of white purity is really what you long for. Not to cover yourself with your own glamor and glitz, that purity in your heart and to be covered with his purity. To draw from his life and to draw from his eternal riches. In that passage where Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, it's probably a very familiar passage to each one of us listening today, but he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What I love about this is that Jesus comes to me. He comes and he knocks on my door. He comes to the one that's hiding, to the one that's been trying to make myself look good all my life. And he comes to me and he says, I see right through you, but you don't need to be afraid. I see you. I love you. And I want to come into your life, into every part of your life, and to be with you. That verse goes on and says, I want to have sup with you. I want to be with you. It's an 
implying a friendship, an intimacy. He wants to come and be with us. He wants to have that space in our lives that we have not let him in so that he may be part and control it and be it. Oh, he invites us to let him in. He invites us, if we don't know him as our savior, he invites us to let him save us from all of our efforts, to save us from trying to save ourselves and to accept what he has done for us on the cross to save us from our sins. He invites us to surrender our lives and all of our efforts to make ourselves right, all of our efforts to clean ourselves and get rid of our shame. He invites us to give our lives to him fully. He invites us to trust him for his provision, for him and him alone to be our satisfaction, an eternal satisfaction. Oh, such joy. Nothing, nothing satisfies like Jesus. Oh, what a life. And he invites you and I not to go after the dazzly things that the enemy offers us that fade away often in minutes, but to come and buy eternal riches that last from today and forever, source of joy and satisfaction found in knowing him and being with him, loving him and being loved by him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us so much, that you offer us this life, you offer to show us the way, the truth and the life, you offer to expose what the evil one uh, does in his plan and the lie behind his plan. Jesus, I thank you that you've come to redeem us and save us and give us this new life if we will but let you. We want to buy from you gold refined in the fire that lasts forever of value in you and found in you alone. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.